Kia ora. This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Beloved listeners, welcome to today's radio program. I'm Carlota Ikonobu and I'm very happy to be back with you to present the New Zealand Greek Metropolis's Christian Orthodox radio program on Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 FM. This is with the blessing of our Archbishop Gerios Gerios Miron. We hope you'll find today's program both interesting and spiritually enlightening with its mix of readings and explanations from the Holy Gospel, question for the priest, readings from spiritual books, some discussion on the lives of the saints, hymns and notices. Now for a few words of introduction in Greek. Αγαπητοί ακροατές, χαίρετε. Σας ευχαριστούμε που είστε συντονισμένοι μαζί μας για ακόμη μία φορά στην εκπομπή της Ερεάς Μητροπόλεως Νέας Ζηλανδίας στο Wellington's Access Radio 106,1 FM η οποία γίνεται με την ευλογία του Μητροπολίτου μας κύριος κύριος Μύρονας. Ελπίζουμε να σας έχουμε μαζί μας καθόλη την διάρκεια της εκπομπής μας από την οποία εύχομαι όλοι μας να οφειληθούμε πνευματικά. Και τώρα ας ξεκινήσουμε το πρόγραμμά μας με την προσευχή Βασιλεύ Ουράνιε. Βασιλεύ Ουράνιε, παράκλητε το πνεύμα της αληθείας, ο πανταχού παρών και τα πάντα πληρών, ο θησαυρός των αγαθών και ζωής χορηγός, έλθε και σκήνωσον εν ημίν, και καθάρισον ημάς από πάση σκυλίδος, και σώσον αγαθέτας ψυχάς ημών. O Heavenly King, Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art present everywhere and fillest all things, Treasury of good things and giver of life, come and dwell in us and cleanse us from all impurities and save our souls, O Gracious One. Let's spend some time now talking about important church events as well as the lives of some of the church's athletes whom we commemorate either today or will do so during the week to come. Today is the Sunday of Orthodoxy and we will hear about this later in the program from Father Pavlos. We will also have Fathers Meletheos and Thaddeos speaking to us about con- 
confession, given that we are in the period of great length. I will speak about the Venerable Benedict of Nursia, whom we commemorate, God willing, on the 14th, and the Venerable Alexis, Man of God, whom we will remember on the 17th. As we've said previously, the reason we read and talk about important church events and our saints is so that we learn from these and apply these learnings to our everyday lives essentially to give us the courage and strength to face all our trials and tribulations with faith, patience and love. Let's start out with speaking about the Venerable Benedict of Nursia. Saint Benedict was born to rich and pious parents in the province of Nursia in Umbria, Italy in the year 480. His name in Latin means blessed, and he is considered the founder of orthodox monasticism in the West. Saint Benedict wrote a rule of Western monasticism which was based on the works of Basil the Great, the Venerable Bachomios, and John Cassian the Roman. When he was 14 years old, his parents sent him to Rome to study. Unsettled by the immorality around him, he decided to devote himself to a different sort of life. At first, he settled near the church of the holy apostle Peter in the village of Ephedum, but news of his ascetic life compelled him to go further into the mountains. There he encountered the hermit Romanus, who tonsured him into monasticism at the age of twenty, and directed him to live in a remote cave. From time to time, Romanus took food to him. Saint Benedict devoted himself to asceticism, prayer and study, and became a chosen vessel of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. His reputation spread quickly, and the monks of the sacred monastery of Vicovaro asked him to be their rabbit. The saint agreed to this, but soon was forced to leave the monastery because those who elected him considered him t too strict. So they slandered him and attempted to poison him. The saint miraculously survived and returned to his beloved solitude. Later there gathered around him many disciples who wanted to become monks under his inspired guidance. He received them and founded a cenobium in which he applied his monastic rule. He called his cenobium a school in which he said, We are taught to serve the Lord. For better guidance of the monks, he founded twelve small cenobitic communities. Each one of these had a head and eleven other monks, but he was the spiritual father of all. St. Benedict's rule prescribed the rejection of personal possessions as well as unconditional obedience and constant work. It was considered the duty of older monks to teach the younger and to copy ancient manuscripts. This helped to preserve many memorable writings from the first centuries of Christianity. Every new monk was required to live as a novice for a year, to learn the monastic rule and to become accustomed to monastic life. Every deed required a blessing. Keeping the monastic rule was strictly binding for everyone and was regarded as an important step on the way to perfection. Saint Benedict was slandered again and defamed by a certain priest, 
So, not to create problems for the monks, he again departed into his beloved stillness, where he remained until the end of his earthly life. He reposed in peace after foretelling the day of his death in the year 547. Saint Benedict was patient, full of love, endowed with the gift of wonder-working, and a continuous benefactor to all without discrimination. The venerable Gregory the Theologist, in his book entitled Dialogues, makes reference to the life and miracles of Saint Benedict. The ascent of Saint Benedict to the heights of virtue and perfection took place through living the Orthodox faith, and this Orthodox faith was given to his disciples, leading them in the straight path of the commandments of Christ, and it was by this faith that he was made worthy to work miracles and heal spiritual and physical illnesses. The rule that he wrote dominated Western monasticism for centuries, and by the year 595, it had appeared in more than a hundred editions. I would like to end with a well-known counsel of the saint. He said, Rejoice when you suffer injustice, be glad in the implementation of the divine commandments, and feel as if every day you are giving an account for all things before the judge. Let's listen now to his apolitikion. Tin feroni mon klisin alithevus anedixas, tis askitikis uagosi, theofore benedicte, ios garevlogias te thilon, archetibone genu ke canon. Let's now speak about the Venerable Alexis, the Man of God. Saint Alexis was born in Rome into the family of pious and poverty-loving parents. The couple was childless for a long time and constantly prayed to the Lord to grant them a child, and their prayers were answered and Alexis was born. At six years of age, the child began to read and successfully studied the everyday sciences but it was with particular diligence that he read Holy Scripture. When he was a young man, he began to imitate his parents. He fasted strictly, distributed arms, and beneath his fine clothing secretly wore a hair shirt. Early on, there burned within him the desire to leave the world and serve God. His parents, however, had arranged for Alexis to marry a beautiful and virtuous bride. On his wedding night, Alexis gave her his ring and his belt, which were very valuable, and said, Keep these things, beloved, and may the Lord be with us until his grace provides us with something better. 
Then, secretly leaving his home, he boarded a ship sailing for Mesopotamia. Arriving in the city of Edessa, where the icon of the Lord, not made by hands, was preserved, Alexis sold everything that he had, distributed the money to the poor, and began to live near the church of the Most Holy Theodokos under a portico. The saint used some of the alms he received to buy bread and water, and distributed the rest to the aged and sickly. Each Sunday he received the Holy Mysteries. His parents looked for him everywhere, but without success. The servants sent to find him arrived in Edessa, but they did not recognize the beggar sitting at the portico as their master. His body was withered by fasting, his beauty had vanished, and his stature had diminished. The saint recognized them and gave thanks to the Lord that he received alms from his own servants. The saint's mother was inconsolable and confined herself to her room, constantly praying for her son. His wife also grieved with her in-laws. Saint Alexis lived in Edessa for 17 years. Once the mother of God spoke to the sacristant of the church where the, church, where the saint lived, saying, Lead into my church that man of God worthy of the kingdom of heaven. His prayer rises up to God with like fragrant incense, and the Holy Spirit rests upon him. This sacristan began to search for such a man, but was not able to find him for a long time. Then he prayed to the Most Holy Theodokos, beseeching her to clear up his confusion. Again, a voice from the icon proclaimed that the man of God was the beggar who sat in the church portico. The sacristan found Saint Alexis and brought him into the church, and many recognized him and began to praise him. He, however, secretly boarded a ship bound for Cilicia, intending to visit the church of Saint Paul in Tarsus, but God intended otherwise. A storm took the ship far to the west, and it reached the coast of Italy, and the saint journeyed to Rome and decided to live in his own house. Unrecognized, he humbly asked his father's permission to settle in some corner of his courtyard, and he was given a specially constructed cell, and orders were given to feed him from his father's own table. Living at his parental home, the saint continued to fast and spent day and night at prayer. He humbly endured insults and jeering from his father's servants. Saint Alexis's cell was opposite his wife's windows, and the ascetic suffered grievously when he heard her weeping, and it was only his immeasurable love for God that helped him endure this torment. Saint Alexis dwelt at the house of his parents for seventeen years, and the Lord revealed to him the day of his death. Then the saint, taking paper and ink, wrote certain things that only his wife and parents would know. He also asked them to forgive him for the pain he had caused them. On the day of St. Alexis's death in the year 411, Archbishop Innocent was serving liturgy in the presence of the Emperor Honorius, and during the services, a voice was heard from the altar saying, Come unto me, all ye who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. All those present fell to the ground in terror. The voice continued, on Friday morning the man of God comes forth from the body. Have him pray for the city that you may remain untroubled. 
They began to search throughout Rome but did not find the saint. On Thursday evening, the Pope was serving vigil in the church of St. Peter and he asked the Lord to show them where to find the man of God. After liturgy, the voice was heard again in the temple, but this time saying, Seek the man of God in the house of Ephemanius. All hastened there, but the saint was already dead. His face shone like the face of an angel, and his hand clasped the paper, and they were unable to take it from him. They placed the saint's body on a cot and covered it with costly coverings. The Pope and the Emperor bent their knees and turned to the saint as yet to one alive, asking him to open his hand. And the saint heard their prayer and opened his hand. When the letter was read, the righteous one's wife and parents tearfully venerated his holy relics. The body of the saint was placed in the centre of the city. The emperor and the pope carried the body into the church where it remained for a whole week and then was placed in a marble crypt. A fragrant myrrh began to flow from the holy relics, bestowing healing upon the sick. The venerable relics of Saint Alexis, the man of God, were buried in the church of Saint Boniface and his relics were uncovered in the year 1216. Εκρίζεις εκβλάστησας περιφάνους και γλινής εκπολέως ίνθισας βασιλικής και λαμπράς you've just joined us, welcome to the Holy Metropolis of New Zealand's Christian Orthodox Radio Programme on Wellington's Access Radio, 106.1 FM. I'm Carlotta Economo and I'd like to remind you that you can listen to this and previous programmes at your convenience anytime that suits you through the Access Radio website at www.accessradio.org.nz. Click onto the Religion and Spirituality link, then scroll down to the Greek Orthodox Holy Metropolis of New Zealand section. It's now time for Question for the Priest, and Father Meladios, priest, monk and abbot from our monastery in Levin, will answer the question, What is Confession?, given that, as I said at the beginning of the program, we are now in the period of Lent, and it is very important to emphasize the significance of confession for us all. Confession is one of the holy mysteries of the Orthodox Church. It is also known as the holy mystery of repentance. It is not merely a conversation with a priest, but a sacred act in which we reveal our sins to Christ with a priest as a witness and we promise to fight our sins by willingly receiving spiritual advice and obediently accepting whatever epithemion our spiritual father gives us. 
Also, we receive the forgiveness of God by the prayer of the Church, read by the priest. In the sacrament of baptism, we are mystically yet in reality joined to Christ and to His living body, the Church, through the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit working in the baptismal waters. In Christ's own words, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unfortunately, in our everyday life, even after baptism, we continue to reject God's gift of life and His values in so many ways, as we come to terms with this fact and see how often we miss the mark. We understand that sin still has a hold over us and places a barrier between ourselves and God. If we say that we have no sin, writes St. John, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The sacrament of confession then becomes for us the way by which we renew the salvific act of baptism in our lives and allows the healing power of God to restore the broken relationship between us and Him caused by our sin. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We know from the Acts of the Apostles and the history of the early Church that the Holy Apostles ordained bishops and priests to take their place and to have the authority which Christ bestowed on His Apostles to proclaim God's forgiveness on the one who was truly repented and confessed openly, as we can read in the Gospel according to John. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. There is no such thing as a private sin. Even our innermost thoughts ultimately have an impact on the way we behave and relate to others and God. It was understood by the Church from the earliest times that the only way to reconcile as once again with God and with those who we have hurt, either directly or indirectly, was to have a public confession of sin. And so, St. Jacob was right in his epistle, Confess your trespasses to one another. In this way, sin is exposed and uprooted, and it's not allowed to spread either within the life of the individual or the church, like a spiritual cancer silently eating away at whatever is good and healthy. When we reveal our sins, it destroys our pride and humbles us. It also gives us a great sense of cleansing and release, the freedom to make a fresh start. In the early church, confession was made before the whole congregation, but over the centuries, the priest remained the sole witness of the church, before whom we make our confession to Christ. How we should prepare for confession? The sacrament itself is the final act in a process of self-examination and repentance before God. It cannot be done mechanically and without any spiritual preparation, for we can only be forgiven for those things which we truly seek to put behind us. Before we go to confession, we need to spend some time alone in prayer and reflection so that we can come to terms not only with our actions, but with who we are and what we are becoming. In silence we must ask God to reveal to us those things in our life which have become a barrier to our relationship with Him. If it is our first confession, it is a good idea to look over our whole life so far and note down on a piece of paper those major incidents over the years for which we feel guilty or which in some way still occupy our conscience. Then we will look over our more recent life, the last few months, weeks and days, more closely, 
as a guide to prompt us, it is good to read the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus and our Lord's Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 to 7. These passages act as a spiritual mirror in which we can see a reflection of our inner self. In this way we can make sure that actually say everything we need, intend and avoid skipping those sins which may cause us most embarrassment or shame. What happens at confession? Every priest may conduct confession slightly differently, but generally the priest, wearing an epitrahelion or stole, will say an introductory prayer and then invite us to sit facing an icon of Christ and make our confession. Sometimes the priest may ask questions to prompt us or to clarify a point, but generally we should approach the meeting as we would a visit to the doctor. We come to describe to the priest our sins, which are the symptoms of our spiritual disease, as honestly and as openly as we can, so that he can pray to God for our forgiveness, and also advise us as to how to tackle and overcome these sins in everyday life. Our confession, therefore, has to be clear without excuses and without discussion of the sins of others. We must trust that God knows all of our circumstances and that He will excuse us if we need be. We have to take to Him and ask forgiveness for the inaccessible part which is the sin. At the end of our confession the priest may advise us and sometimes give us an epitemio, which is not a punishment, rather a medicine, to help eradicate sin from our life. He will then ask us to kneel while he places the epitrahelion over our head and reads the prayer of forgiveness, encouraging us to be confident in God's mercy and love for us. For every Orthodox Christian, a heartfelt confession is an opportunity to cleanse our inner life and to make a new beginning in our relationship with God, an opportunity to enter once again into the life and joy of God's kingdom. Κύριε και δέσποτα τη ζωή μου, πνεύμα αργίας, περιεργίας, φιλαρχίας και αργολογίας, μη μηδός. Πνεύμα δεσοφροσύνης, ταπεινοφροσύνης, υπομονής και αγάπης, χάρισέ μη το σώδουλο. Ναι, Κύριε Βασιλεύ, Δόρισε μη του οράντα εμάπτεσματα και μη κατακρίνειν τον αδελφόν μου ότι ευλογητός ή εις τους αιώνας των αιώνων. Αμήν. Lord and Master of my life, take from me the spirit of sloth.
We've just listened to Saint Ephraim of Syria's Lenten prayer in both Greek and English. This is a prayer that we should say every day during Great Lent. It's now time for Father Thaddeus to speak to us and, as I said at the start of the program, he will speak to us about confession, but in Greek. Αγαπητοί μου χριστιανοί, χαίρετε εν Κύριο. Με τη χάρη του Αγίου Θεού είμαστε και πάλι σήμερα μαζί, Κυριακή της Ορθοδοξίας. Σε προηγούμενες εκπομπές μιλήσαμε για τον ρόλο της Εκκλησίας, την μετάνοια, την συγχωρητικότητα και την νηστεία, αρετές οι οποίες είναι απαραίτητες για να φτάσουμε στο μυστήριο της εξομολογήσεως. Νομίζω λοιπόν πως σήμερα είναι η κατάλληλη στιγμή να πούμε δύο λόγια με τη βοήθεια του Θεού για αυτό το μεγάλο υποχρεωτικό και ένα από τα εφτά μυστήρια της Αγίας μας Ορθοδόξης Εκκλησίας, το γνωστό σε πολλούς από εμάς της μετανοίας και εξομολογήσεως μυστήριων. Ονομάζεται έτσι διότι δεν αρκεί μόνο η μετάνοια ή μόνο η εξομολόγηση για την άφηση των αμαρτιών μας, αλλά και τα δύο μαζί. Για να δούμε λοιπόν γιατί είναι υποχρεωτική η εξομολόγηση, Πότε καθιερώθηκε και από ποιον. Ας πάμε να δούμε τι μας λέει η Καινή Διαθήκη στο καταμάρκον Ευαγγέλιο. Εγένετο Ιωάννης βαπτίζουν εν τη ερήμο και κηρύσσον βάπτισμα μετανοίας εις άφησιν αμαρτιών και εξεπορεύετο προς αυτόν πάσα Ιουδαία χώρα και η Ιεροσολυμίτε και βαπτίζουν το πάντες εν το Ιορδάνη ποταμό υπ' αυτού εξομολογούμενοι τας αμαρτίας αυτών. Εδώ βλέπουμε καθαρά τρία απαραίτητα στοιχεία που χρειαζόμαστε για την σωτηρία μας. Θα ξαναδιαβάσω το κείμενο πιο προσεκτικά για να εντοπίσουμε αυτά τα τρία στοιχεία. Εγένετο Ιωάννης βαπτίζων εν τη ερήμο. Εδώ βλέπουμε το πρώτο στοιχείο που είναι η βάπτιση, για την οποία θα μιλήσουμε σε άλλη εκπομπή. Και κηρύσσον βάπτισμα μετανοίας εις άφησιν αμαρτιών. Εδώ βλέπουμε το δεύτερο στοιχείο που είναι η μετάνοια. Και εξεπορεύεται προς αυτόν πάσα Ιουδαία χώρα και Ιεροσολυμίτε και βαπτίζοντο πάντες εν το Ιορδάνη ποταμό υπ' αυτού εξομολογούμενοι τα σαμαρτίας αυτών. Εδώ βλέπουμε και το τρίτο στοιχείο που είναι η εξομολόγηση. Άρα η εξομολόγηση δεν είναι κάτι καινούριο που ανακάλυψαν οι παπάδες στην εποχή μας ούτε κάτι που εφεύρισαν οι Άγιοι Πατέρες της Εκκλησίας μας λίγους αιώνες πριν αλλά προέρχεται από την εποχή του Τιμίου Προδρόμου και συνεπώς του Χριστού μας. Για να δούμε τι λέει ο ίδιος ο Κύριος μας στους μαθητές του για την εξομολόγηση στην πρώτη του συνάντηση την ημέρα της Αναστάσεώς του. Είπε νουν αυτής ο Ιησούς πάλιν, ειρήνη ημίν, καθώς απέσταλκε με ο πατήρ, καγώ πέμπω ημάς. Και τούτο υπόν ενεφίσε και λέγει αυτής, λάβετε πνεύμα Άγιον, αν την ον αφήτε τας αμαρτίας, αφήεντε αυτής, αν την ον κρατείτε και κράτηντε. Δεν νομίζω αδελφοί μου να υπάρχει κάποιος που μπορεί να το αφισβητήσει αυτό. Είναι ξεκάθαρο. Τι τους λέει. Ειρήνη σε εσάς. Καθώς με έχει αποστήλει ο πατήρ και εγώ στέλνω εσάς. Και όταν είπε αυτό φύσηξε πάνω τους και τους λέει. Λάβετε πνεύμα Άγιο. Αν σε κάποιος αφήσει τις αμαρτίες έχουν αφαιθεί σε αυτούς. Αν σε κάποιος τις κρατάτε έχουν κρατηθεί. Οπότε τι βλέπουμε εδώ. Ο ίδιος ο Κυριός μας ο έχον πάσα εξουσία εν ουρανό και πηγής, Δίνει την εξουσία του δεσμήν και λύειν αμαρτίες στους μαθητές του και όπως είναι φυσικό, οι μαθητές του στους μετέπειτα αποστολικούς πατέρες, μιας και θα έφευγαν από αυτή την ζωή σαν άνθρωποι που ήταν και στη συνέχεια μέχρι και τις ημέρες μας στους έχοντας την ιεροσύνη του Χριστού αρχιερείς, οι οποίοι λόγω του μεγάλου αριθμού πιστών εκ των πραγμάτων δίνουν την εξουσία του δεσμήν και λύειν αμαρτίες Μέσω ειδική ευχή και με ένα ενταλτήριο γράμμα σε συγκεκριμένου μόνο ιερεί, 
τους λεγόμενους πνευματικούς. Από αυτό γίνεται φανερή η Θεία Ίδρυση του Μυστηρίου της Εξομολογήσεως από τον ίδιο τον Χριστό μας. Στην αρχαία Εκκλησία το Μυστήριο της Εξομολογήσεως γινόταν ενώπιον των πιστών, κατά το παράδειγμα των Αποστόλων, όπως το διαβάζουμε στις πράξεις τους. Πολίτε των πεπιστευκότων, ήρχοντο εξομολογούμενοι και αναγγέλλονται στας πράξεις αυτών. Και σε πιο απλή γλώσσα, πολλοί από αυτούς που είχαν πιστέψει, έρχονταν και εξομολογούνταν και ανάγγελαν τις πράξεις τους. Βέβαια αυτός ο τύπος εξομολόγησης, για ευνόητους λόγους, δεν κράτησε για πολλά χρόνια και θεώρησαν οι Άγιοι Πατέρες της Εκκλησίας μας πως έπρεπε να αλλάξει σε μυστική εξομολόγηση, όπως και έγινε και ισχύει μέχρι και σήμερα. Ένας από τους μεταρρυθμιστές αυτής της τακτικής ήταν και ο Μέγας Βασίλειος, ο οποίος την κατέστησε τακτική και υποχρεωτική και την επεξέτεινε και στα μικρότερα αμαρτήματα αυτά των λογισμών. Σε άλλη εκπομπή θα μιλήσουμε πιο αναλυτικά για το πώς πρέπει να πηγαίνουμε και τι να λέμε στην εξομολόγηση. Το πόσο σοβαρό είναι να εξομολογούμαστε τους λογισμούς μας και ότι από αυτούς ξεκινάει η αμαρτία ακόμη και αν δεν την έχουμε κάνει πράξη. Θα δούμε τι λένε οι Άγιοι της Εκκλησίας μας για αυτό το μυστήριο και οτιδήποτε άλλο χρειαστεί για να κάνουμε σαφές το πόσο ανάγκη έχουμε την εξομολόγηση. Ναι αδελφοί μου, όπως χρειαζόμαστε τους γιατρούς του σώματος, έτσι και περισσότερο χρειαζόμαστε τους γιατρούς της ψυχής. Όπως για ένα μικρό πονοκέφαλο παίρνουμε ασπιρίνες και παναντόλ, που αυτό αμέσως δείχνει ότι έχουμε ανάγκη από τη βοήθεια της φαρμακευτικής ιατρικής και δεν λέμε «Ε, δεν πειράζει, θα περάσει, σιγά, ένας απλός πονοκέφαλος είναι». Το ίδιο ανάγκη έχουμε όταν μας βαραίνει κάτι στην ψυχή, έστω και μικρό, από τα πνευματικά φάρμακα που θα τα προμηθευτούμε από την Εκκλησία. Όπως πολλές φορές πονάμε υπερβολικά και τρέχουμε στο νοσοκομείο για ιατρικές εξετάσεις, που αυτό μπορεί να σημαίνει και χειρουργείο, το ίδιο και περισσότερο πρέπει να κάνουμε όταν μας βαραίνουν πολλά στην ψυχή και θα πρέπει να τρέξουμε στο πνευματικό νοσοκομείο που λέγεται Εκκλησία και να ζητήσουμε την θεραπεία μας από τους γιατρούς της, τους ιερείς. Να μπούμε στο εξομολογητήριο, στο πνευματικό χειρουργείο και να εμπιστευτούμε την σωτηρία της ψυχής μας στον πνευματικό χειρούργο Εφόσον είναι ο ίδιο θεραπευμένο και έμπειρο γνώστη τη εξομολογητική επιστήμη, ο οποίο θα μα δώσει τι κατάλληλε κατευθύνσει και την πνευματική συνταγή για την θεραπεία τη πονεμένη μα ψυχή. Βέβαια, πρέπει να το πούμε και αυτό, υπάρχουν άνθρωποι οι οποίοι για τον παραμικρό πονοκέφαλο και την παραμικρή αδιαθεσία δεν δίνουν σημασία και γίνονται οι ίδιοι οι ιατροί του εαυτού του, με αποτέλεσμα να επιδεινωθεί η κατάστασή του και να έρθει ο σωματικό θάνατο. Και αυτό μπορεί να συμβεί από ένα μικρό εγκεφαλικό ή και από ένα μικρόβιο που δεν είναι ορατό από το ανθρώπινο μάτι, αλλά ορατό από ένα ιατρικό μικροσκόπιο. Βλέπετε ποια είναι η κατάληξη του ανθρώπου όταν γίνεται ιατρός του εαυτού του. Το ίδιο συμβαίνει και με εμάς τους Ορθοδόξους που γινόμαστε πνευματικοί ιατροί του εαυτού μας και αντί να πάμε στο θεραπευτήριο των ψυχών που λέγεται Ορθόδοξη Εκκλησία, προτιμούμε να εξομολογούμαστε μπροστά στις εικόνες, λες και οι εικόνες θα μας δώσουν άφηση αμαρτιών ή νομίζοντας πως αν κάνουμε κάποια καλά έργα, για να μην μιλήσω για περιπτώσεις ανθρώπων που κάνουν διάφορα τάματα και ούτω καθεξής, θα συγχωρεθούμε με αποτέλεσμα να έρθει ο πνευματικός θάνατος που είναι χειρότερος του πρώτου. Δυστυχώς αδελφοί μου, ο διάβολος πολλές φορές την χάνει να είναι πιο έξυπνος και πονηρός από πολλούς από εμάς και να μας ρίχνει πολύ εύκολα στις παγίδες του. Είναι πραγματικά μεγάλη δυστυχία να έχουμε την συνταγή για την θεραπεία και σωτρία της ψυχής μας 20 ολόκληρους αιώνες, την οποία ακολούθησαν όλοι οι Άγιοι και οι ίδιοι βέβαια είναι η απόδειξη ότι η αληθινή θεραπεία βρίσκεται μόνο στην Ορθόδοξη Εκκλησία, αφού φτάσανε στον αγιασμό της ψυχής και του σώματος, με τα άφθαρτα σώματα που τιμούμε και προσκυνούμε, αλλά και τα προσωπικά τους ρούχα ή αντικείμενα. Είναι πράγματι μεγάλη δυστυχία 
με μια τέτοια παράδοση αγίων ανδρών και γυναικών, να αρνούμαστε και να απαξιώνουμε το μέγα μυστήριο τη μετανία και εξομολογήσεω, είτε παρασυρώμενοι από τι άλλε δίθεν εκκλησίε, οι οποίε έχουν καταργήσει και ισοπεδώσει τα πάντα, ώστε στο τέλο να μην έχουν καμία σχέση με τον Χριστό και την διδασκαλία του, είτε επειδή έχουμε φτιάξει το δικό μα Ευαγγέλιο κομμένο και ραμμένο στα μέτρα μα και το ερμηνεύουμε ανάλογα με το συμφέρον μα. Αλλήμον όμω, αδελφοί. Ο Χριστό μα ταπεινώθηκε και έγινε άνθρωπο, αλλά εμεί δεν θέλουμε να ταπεινωθούμε. Ο Χριστό μα νίστεψε, αλλά εμεί δεν νηστεύουμε. Ο Χριστό μα έκλαψε για τον θάνατο του φίλου του Λαζάρου, αλλά εμεί δεν κλαίμε για τον πνευματικό μα θάνατο. Ο Χριστό μα μαστιγώθηκε, αν και αναμάρτητο, αλλά εμεί δεν θέλουμε να πονέσουμε από τα πνευματικά μαστιγώματα του πνευματικού μα ιατρού επάνω στη ρίζα των παθών. Ο Χριστό μα σταυρώθηκε και έχει το πανάγιο νέμα του πάνω στο σταυρό. Αλλά εμεί προτιμούμε να σταυρώνουμε του άλλου και τον ίδιο ξανά και ξανά, διότι η ταπείνωση είναι άγνωστη λέξη για μα. Κατά τα άλλα, είμαστε Ορθόδοξοι Χριστιανοί. Δεν θα πω περισσότερα, αδελφοί μου. Θα συνεχίσουμε την επόμενη εβδομάδα πρώτο Θεό. Έω τότε, καλή συνέχεια τη Μεγάλη Τεσσαρακοστή. Ευχόμενο σε όλου μα καλή φώτιση και καλή μετάνοια. Κατευθυνθήτων η
We've just listened to the beautiful Lenten hymn, Let My Prayer Rise, which is chanted at the Liturgy of the Pre-Sanctified Gifts, which we have throughout the period of Great Lent. Today's Gospel reading is from John chapter 1, verses 43 to 51. At that time Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael, and he said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You shall see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. I'd like to welcome Father Pavlos now, who's going to explain today's gospel to us. And of course, as he does every week, this is over the phone. Thank you, Father Pavlos. 
to all you, the beloved listeners of the radio program of the Sacred Metropolis of New Zealand. Greetings. This is again Father Paul Petitas, Father Pablo Petitas, que sas milao apodo telefonicos veos ya tin ortodoximas pisti que querigmata o el piso na ejonenia stis zoisas. Hoping that through this ministry of our Sacred Metropolis you will find some benefit to your spiritual life. Tutti ti kiriaki yortazume ti kiriaki ti sorfodoxias που είναι πολύ σημαντική ημέρα βεβαίως γιατί όπως λέμε στην γλώσσα μας η αρχή δείχνει το τέλος. This Sunday we are celebrating the Sunday of Orthodoxy and it is a significant day because as you know in the Greek language we often say the beginning indicates the ending. In other words if you have a good beginning then hopefully you'll have also a good ending. Or if the beginning is about some theme then the, that ending will have a similar theme. And what, of course, is the theme or the focus of the Sunday of Orthodoxy? Well, it is that God become man, became man to restore the image of man that he had created. Let me repeat that. God became man to restore the image of man that he had himself had created. O Theos egine anthropos yana anastili tin ikona του ανθρώπου, του ανθρώπιν, η ανθρώπινη εικόνα, ο ίδιος άνθρωπος που έκανε ο Θεός. Και αυτό είναι πολύ σημαντικό, για αυτό όμως η Εκκλησία γιορτάζει και την αναστήληση των εικόνων. Ήταν μια φορά και έναν καιρό στην Ορθοδοξία μας μια μάχη εναντίον της εικόνας. Και, και οι άνθρωποι που ήταν στην Εκκλησία είπαν ότι δεν πρέπει να έχουμε εικόνας, γιατί γίνουνε σαν είδωλα, έτσι είπανε. Αλλά οι Ορθόδοξοι είπαν όχι, δεν είναι έτσι. Οι εικόνες δεν, δεν, τη λατρεύουμε, δεν λατρεύουμε τις εικόνες, δίνουμε τιμή στην εικόνα γιατί δείχνει έναν άνθρωπο που έχουμε μεγάλο σεβασμό. Δηλαδή δείχνουν τον Χριστό που, έχουμε, που αυτόν τον λατρεύουμε βεβαίως γιατί είναι Θεός και άνθρωπος ο Χριστός μας και δείχνουμε σεβασμό στην Παναγία, στους Αγίους και βεβαίως We are venerating those images and icons because they indicate to us Christ and the Virgin Mary and, of course, the Feast of the Church. And we don't worship those images, but rather we honor them, we honor them with our veneration. Of course, we can say that we offer worship to Christ, but even with the icon of Christ, we don't worship it. But we offer veneration to that image, hoping that our worship goes to Christ himself. And that is really the purpose of each icon. But why do we celebrate the Sunday of Orthodoxy? Because during this period of the Church's history, there was a period of the Church's history from the 720s to the 830s, or approximately, there was a, a battle against icons in the Church. And the Christians were asked to remove their icons. But after much discussion and much debate, what was the final conclusion? The final conclusion is that we have to have icons. Not that we can have icons, it would be nice to have icons. We must have icons, because the icons are for us a witness to the fact that God became man. Now that's a pretty important thing. And what we mean by that is that God took on human flesh. He became 
someone whom we can touch, someone whom we can see, someone whom we can hear, someone who can touch us. And the icon preserves that connection to the incarnation of Christ because the icon is something we can touch, it's something we can see, it's something we can feel. Now, of course, it's not something that we can hear, although there have been stories of people hearing voices through an icon. But generally, that doesn't happen to most of us because we, aren't very, we don't have the holiness to have that kind of experience happen regularly. But it does happen, and God uses these icons to be a further witness to his incarnation. And that's why the Church said it's not just a good idea to have icons, it's an, a necessity. Because it's only in this way that we can remember as human beings that God became man. And the Church says that not only are the icons in paint icons, but even those things which are written in words. So the hymns of the Church, the theology of the Church, even the Holy Scripture, are icons which point us back to the Savior. Now, the icon, it, by its true definition, is an image that leads us back to the prototype. By honoring these images, we are connected to the prototype, which is God himself, God incarnate in the flesh, our Lord and God and Savior Jesus Christ. I said earlier that we celebrate this wonderful feast because God came to restore the human image which had fallen. Each one of us is made in the image and likeness of God. We are his icons. When we venerate the icons, we see how much God wants to elevate the human being, to lift him up to a very high height, so that human beings can be holy, can become even children of God. Now, God intends that for us as well. So, his incarnation made that possible. And now you see why it is the veneration of the icons is so helpful, because it reminds us that God came to restore our image too. O Theos de Celina Fisiton Anthropo Stina Martia, Celina Nasikositon Anthropo, Kena Ayasiton Anthropo, Kiaftoveveus Iniatia Pu Ecclesia Anastilini Tisikonas, Etiseli κάθε άνθρωπο να βλέπει την εικόνα, ας πούμε, της Παναγίας και να ξέρει ότι ένας άνθρωπος έγινε τόσο κοντά στο Θεό που να είναι επωράνιος άνθρωπος. Και να βλέπουμε την εικόνα, ας πούμε, του Αγίου Ονοφρίου ή του Αγίου Παύλου ή της Αγίας Θέκλας ή της Αγίας Εκατερίνης και να ξέρουμε ότι τέτοιες γυναίκες και τέτοιους ανθρώπους έγιναν τόσο κοντά στο Θεό. Ο Θεός we see in God that he lifted up the image of each human being. We especially see that in the lives of the saints. God wants to lift up your image too. Are you trapped and bound by sin? Do you find yourself frustrated that you can't seem to do the good thing but only repeat the evil and evil patterns of your past? Come to church. Bow your head before the icon of Christ, especially before the icon of his crucifixion, before the icon of his Holy Mother, and there pour out your soul and ask forgiveness and call on the priest to read you the prayer of forgiveness so that your image can be lifted up too and you can leave behind 
the dark sins of your past. My brothers and sisters in Christ, it's always our privilege to speak to you about issues of faith. We are asking always for your prayers and support as well. Thank you, dear listener, and may God bless you as you begin this sacred journey, which we call Great and Holy Land. As we're nearing the end of our time together today, we'd like to thank you for listening again to the Holy Metropolis of New Zealand's Christian Orthodox Radio broadcast on Wellington's Access Radio 106.1 FM, and we hope that you'll join us again next Sunday. I'd like to thank all our fathers for the inspiration and help we get from them, and a special thanks today to Fathers Pavlos, Melateos and Thaddeos. We'd like to wish all a blessed Lent and pray that this will be a time of repentance and enlightenment for us all. Let's finish off with a hymn about the Sunday of Orthodoxy. program was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.